I'm Stephanie Safarian, and this is episode 121. You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian. Hello there, friends, and welcome back. On today's show, we are demystifying all those labels and all those third-party certifications on our favorite products. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while, you likely already know that it is prudent for us as consumers to forget about those blanket marketing terms like all natural or fat-free. I could go on and on. Instead, you have heard me say so many times that a better option is to trust third-party certifications because those certifications can give consumers the confidence that a product or a company has met strict guidelines for health or environmental or social concerns. Now, the problem comes in the fact that these cutesy little labels are on products, but you and I, we have no idea what they mean. We know they're important, but we don't know why. It takes a lot of time to do that research to find out what exactly a specific certification label means. And when we are in the store and when we have a child next to us who's starting to act up, we are not going to whip out our phone and figure it out right then and there. We're either going to buy or not buy, right? We just trust the label, we buy the product, or we pick the cheaper option, the one without the label, most often. I've been there (laughs) many times, and maybe you have too. So I have one goal for today's episode, and that is to give you the down low on four of the most common third-party certifications so that you can shop with greater confidence. Now, today's show is organized into two parts. The first part is an introduction to some of the certifications we see. So I'm choosing three certifications that you've likely seen on some products here or there as you are out and about. I'm not picking the most popular ones, the ones that you likely already know something about. So you won't hear me talking about USDA organic. You won't hear me talk about non-GMO certified or free range. I'm not covering those today. Instead, I am covering three certifications that you've likely seen but just don't really understand, which of course is the Certified B Corporation label, the Made Safe label, and the Global Organic Textile Standard label. In the second part of today's episode, I am bringing you an interview with Lisa Moiseva, who is the co-host of the Good Together podcast and is an expert in the ins and outs of fair trade certification. Lisa and I will be doing a deep dive into what fair trade really means in part two of today's episode. This week's show notes, you can find them at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 121. That's M-A-M-A minimalist.com forward slash 121. And before we dive into part one, a quick note that the Sustainable Minimalist podcast is supported by Oregon State University eCampus, a national leader in online education. Pair your passion for sustainable living with OSU's passion for the environment by earning a degree online in fields like sustainability and public health. Learn more at ecampus.oregonstate.edu forward slash minimalists. 
The first certification to discuss today is, of course, the one that you have likely seen all over the place, but you have no idea what it means, which is the Certified B Corporation logo. Now, I have talked an awful lot lately on this podcast about my love affair with athletic clothes and yoga pants, and I was initially introduced to the Certified B Corp logo through the store Athleta. I knew that being B Corp certified was important, but I also remember feeling really confused when I saw that logo pasted on the glass door of the store, on the bag, on the product label. I felt confused because I knew that Athleta was owned by Gap Inc. And Old Navy is also grouped into that corporation. So what really could that certified B Corp logo mean, really, if you're lumped in the same corporation as Old Navy? So I was confused. But it turns out that being a certified B Corporation is actually quite powerful because it means that the company that's certified is devoted to using business as a force of good, even at the expense of profit. Now, that is some powerful stuff here, so stay with me. The Certified B Corp Assessment is the only certification out there currently that measures both social, or another way to say social is ethical, performance, as well as its environmental practices. It takes into account the workers, the community in which the factory is, as well as the toxic waste disposal, as well as its commitment to the planet, right? The certified B Corp label encompasses all those things in one fancy package. Companies who end up becoming B Corp certified volunteer themselves, really, to undergo a rigorous screening process, which is about nine months on average. And they commit themselves to using their business to work towards a better world. These companies also pay an annual fee to stay certified, which ranges from about $500 to $50,000 a year based on sales. Now, to be granted and to keep your certification, companies must not only be socially and environmentally responsible, but they also have to satisfy the certification's requirement that the company integrates B-Lab commitments to stakeholders in the company's governing document. So it's no longer about what happens at the factory, right? It's about a commitment to being a responsible company now as well as in the future. As of last year, there were over 2,750 certified B corporations. There are some really big names that are certified B. Some are Athleta, of course, which I already mentioned. There's also Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Now, I just must say, as a New Englander who absolutely loves Ben and Jerry's. I'm so excited (laughs) to read that they are B Corp certified. Allbirds is another one. Stonyfield Organic, which is yogurt and other dairy products. Patagonia. Lisa Mattresses. Tentree. I love Tentree as well. Oh my gosh. Love their sweatpants. And Ethique. Their shampoo bars are lovely. 
Now, a side note here, I mentioned earlier that Athleta is owned by Gap Inc. and Gap Inc. isn't so great. And Ben & Jerry's is owned by Unilever and Unilever is absolutely not so great. Even though these companies are owned by larger corporations, those ownerships do not dismiss the good things that the companies are doing. So the bad behavior of the corporations does not say anything about the good things that these divisions of the corporations are doing. So that is the B Corp certification. Next up is the MaidSafe certification. And the MaidSafe certification generally has to do with personal care and home products. Quick distinction right off the bat is that whereas the certified B Corp logo applies to companies, the made safe certification applies to products. So a company could have five products that are made safe certified and two that are not. Just want to make that clear at the outset. So the made safe certification stands for made with safe ingredients. And it means that a product labeled as such is made with non-toxic ingredients. MadeSafe is all about identifying the non-toxic items on the shelves. It's anything from apparel and personal care products to bedding and cosmetics and cleaning products. And if you are eyeing a MadeSafe certified product, you can be rest assured that the product does not have carcinogens or endocrine disruptors or fire retardants or neurotoxins or VOCs. I could go on and on. So the Made Safe logo on a package saves you time from looking at the list of ingredients and trying to decipher those overly scientific words as to whether or not this is safe. If a product has the Made Safe logo on it, you can be pretty darn sure that it is safe. Now, what I like about Made Safe is that they take a really hard line. So they assume that a product is harmful until it is proven safe. If the safety of some ingredient in some product is unknown, the Made Safe certification then defers to the precautionary principle, which of course is that the ingredient and therefore then the product does not become certified. One other thing that I think is pretty darn amazing about the Made Safe certification is that brands when they sign up to be assessed, they must be prepared to take a journey <laughs> to formulate a better product. So it is rare for a product to sign up to be assessed and then just be granted this certification, right? It may take a few years to get a product certified. And the certification asks that brands commit to the goal of certifying the majority of their products over time. And that is a significant commitment, right, for a company who's seeking to sell products. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate the products on the market that are certified. Now, a couple really quick Made Safe certified products that are out there. Um, Avocado Green Mattress is one of them. Naturepedic, another mattress. 
and True Botanicals, all made safe certified. The third certification I need to discuss with you today, of course, is the Global Organic Textile Standard, or GOTS, G-O-T-S, and it's for textiles. And the logo on packages looks like a man's button-down shirt, if you've ever seen it, in a circle. So it's a man's button-down shirt in a circle. That's the GOTS logo. The Global Organic Textile Standard certifies products, not corporations, again, and it certifies that fibers in some textile product is indeed grown organically. Okay, so I'm sure you have seen products that say made with organic fibers, right? Made with organic fibers. Okay, what on earth does that mean? (laughs) I've had these conundrums in the store so many times, made with organic fibers. Does that mean it's organic? Or does that mean in the case of the Huggies diapers that I mentioned on my episode on greenwashing, that 2% of the product is made with organic cotton, but the rest of it is either conventional cotton or something else entirely. So made with organic fibers, it's a confusing marketing term, but if a product has that GOTS certification, you can be certain that the product contains a minimum of 95% certified organic fibers. I've talked many times before about why exactly organic fibers are important, and if you missed my episode all on natural fibers, synthetic fibers, all those good things, you should absolutely go back and check it out. The episode was number 109, and it was all about eco-friendly fibers. Now, a couple companies that have got certified products include Everlane, Seventh Generation's cotton products, particularly their tampons and pads, those are GOT certified. And even the Home Depot, this one surprised me, the Home Depot has a line of 100% cotton bedding, and all that is GOT certified. And finally, Packed Apparel, which is a friend and prior sponsor of this podcast, many of Packed Apparel's apparel is GOTS certified. And by the way, I was so fortunate to have a chat with Brendan Sinnott, the CEO of Packed Apparel. That was episode 84. You should totally go back and check it out if you are not quite sure why organic cotton is important. Now, before we head into part two of today's episode, I would like to tell you a little bit more about one of our supporters, Oregon State University eCampus. With sustainability in mind, Oregon State strives to create healthier people and a healthier planet. Joshua Chan Burgess learned all about that mission as he pursued his sustainability degree online with OSU eCampus. As his studies took him from Asia to Ohio to Florida, He learned things like the importance of composting and how to be a practitioner of ecological restoration. Learn more about how you can make your impact felt at ecampus.oregonstate.edu forward slash minimalists. The fourth and final certification we are going to discuss today is, of course, 
the fair trade certification. And to really get to the bottom of the fair trade label, I have invited on Lisa Moiseva to help us understand all the intricacies of what it means to be fair trade. Lisa is the co-host of the Good Together podcast, and prior, she was a CMO at Globin, a leading social enterprise subscription box that featured fair trade products. Enjoy the interview. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk all things fair trade. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. I'm always happy to talk about fair trade, <laughs> uh, fair wages, artisan, handmade, and all the other goodness that comes with this certification specifically. On the podcast, I have suggested to my listeners before to always look for those certifications, those third-party certifications when making a purchasing decision, because generally those certifications say something powerful about the product. But Oftentimes, we don't even know what those certifications are or what they mean. So tell us in layman's terms, what does it mean to be fair trade certified and how hard is it to become fair trade certified? I think the most important thing, and hopefully most people understand about fair trade, that fair trade is about fair wages. It's about providing people uh, all around the world uh, with jobs, dignified jobs, but also making sure to pay them uh, fair wages. And fair wages, that's one of the m- most confusing part. It's not as straightforward to everyone. Is because fair wage can differ from region to region, country to country, and even, uh, you know, city by city in different countries. Uh, so de- uh, generally speaking, fair wage is above minimum wage in, in any given region. But, of course, fair trade is not just about fair wages. Fair trade is about respecting the environmental standards. It's about paying equally uh, for to men and women. It's about making sure there's no child labor in your supply chain. And making sure that you're empowering your artisan partner, your farmers, um, by doing business with them. And making sure that you're paying deposits for your orders and things like that. Um, does this all make sense? It does. Uh My next kind of statement on this is that I really always associated fair trade with chocolate (laughs) and coffee, but it sounds like fair trade is much more than that. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think this is kind of the challenge um, for the whole fair trade industry right now. But uh, as you correctly mentioned, um, fair trade industry, ultimately, it started with chocolate, coffee and tea. Uh, so some of the best known uh, companies that are Equal Exchange, I think Equal Exchange is one of the coffee and um, co- coffee producers and tea producers. There's also Divine Chocolate that has a cooperative down in Ghana. I'm not sure who was the, the original fair trade company, but it definitely was in the inside of coffee and uh, coffee, tea and chocolate kind of uh, product lines. But right now, fair trade can be anything. Think Moroccan ceramics that are handmade or it's textiles from India. Uh, even your jeans like Patagonia, for example, they have a fair trade factory that pr- uh, produces a certain line of uh, denim products for Patagonia. So um, a fair trade can almost cover any product that you're thinking of, especially if it's, you know, labor-intensive products and that not a manufactured, but if there is, a, you know, hand labor went into it, um, any product falling in that category, I think, can be fair trade. So what are the steps to becoming fair trade certified? It seems like 
because the certification encompasses an awful lot, it would make me feel as though it's probably quite difficult to become certified. Would that be right or not at all? No, absolutely. No, it's definitely not easy to be fair trade uh, verified as certified. So on my end, as I mentioned, there is fair trade federation, which you you become as a me- as a verified member of the fair trade federation. Um, it's you're not you're still not certified. So fair trade federation, a lot of uh, U.S. based retailers that work with artisans, for example, around the world, um, they are fair trade federation members, but they're not certified. And the re- main reason is that certification is on the factory level. So uh, to give you an example, 10,000 villages, probably you know uh, them uh, quite well. There's also Serve. Uh, they, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 10,000 villages, they're definitely Fair Trade Federation members, but they might not be certified because by their nature, and same for my previous company, Globin, uh, we were working with 50, 100,000 of different artisan partners, producers and farmers all around the world. Uh, and we were sourcing products from them. But we are not their only client, right? This is why um, we can't be uh, fair trade certified. The factories, specific factories on the ground um, uh, or, or farms can be certified. Uh, so, for example, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, for example, cotton companies, cotton factories or coffee producing farms, tea and things like this, these companies will be fair trade certified. And even in the certification end of things, there's multiple certification. There is fair trade. USA, there's World Fair Trade Organization. Um, things that's that's these are the main ones. But uh, but the point is, um, you have to own your factory, right? You have to be the the main owner of the factory of the farm to be certified. And um, with certification, um, members of the Fair Trade Certification Organization they actually go to your factory and to certify you. While in the Fair Trade Federation case, um, they do. You, you give them a lot of documentation about how you work with artisans, how many artisan groups you're working with, how, how much you pay for them, and they verify this uh, for you and they talk to your partners, but they you know, you, they can't um, travel to all the different hundred different manufacturers we're working with. If a product says something about fair trade on it, is that enough of a guarantee to us as consumers that the right checks and balances are in place? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So um, as a company, you're not allowed to use, uh, you know, fair trade, any fair trade logos, if you're not verified by uh, any different third party fair trade verifying organization. So yes, this is enough for sure. Um, so for example, to give you to give you an example, like well, with Globin, my previous company, uh, we have always been fair trade uh, organization, we were working with artisans, we were making sure our supply chains are transparent, we we're making sure that we are paying fair wages to artisans, we're going to the Fair Trade Federation conference, but only like a couple of years after we actually got Fair Trade verified. Um, and then again, uh, we will never be Fair Trade certified just because we don't own the factories on the ground. So certification is on the factory level. So our individual factories that we work with, our individual artisan groups, they can get certified, but it's certification will be on their level, not on global level, if that makes sense. It does. Thank you. So So I know that my listeners listening are going to want to know, are fair trade products more expensive? And 
If so, how much more expensive? Yeah, I, I love that question. And I actually was uh, just uh, a part of the conversation, one of the Facebook groups I'm in. Somebody was, uh, I think, uh, asking a question about... Um, cost plus world market and um, that's a very easy example for me to give because I know uh, specifically some of the products that they sell and some and we sell um, in my previous company we used to sell the same exact product um, and my my supplier told me the pricing so uh, it, it was it's very interesting quirky products it's called um, nose glasses holder it's like it looks like a nose it's hand carved from beautiful Indian rosewood and um, ultimately um, um, world class or world market they were selling exact same product but three times cheaper than us than a fair trade company and the reason uh, they were able to do that because we were paying so let's say um, a world market was paying six dollars was selling this product for six dollars to the consumer we were paying six dollars to the artisans for the same product so you can only imagine how much less the world market was paying artisans um, and this is just one example you know here in america we have been trained to shop for the lowest price but what many of us don't understand is that when we pay the cheapest price, it's an actual human who's getting shafted. <laughs> it's the person who made it. And I think it's really important that you made that point so that listeners listening right now understand that maybe the cheapest price isn't always the most ethical choice. Absolutely. And yeah, exactly. I always like to say, you know, like fair trade goes, first of all, of course, beyond coffee and chocolate, but it it also almost goes beyond, you know, just handmade ceramics or handwoven textile pieces. Ultimately, there is a human behind almost every product that we surround ourselves with. Even the products that are made in a factory in China, it's still most likely is operated by a person. We're not there yet where, you know, um, everything is robotized and uh, robots are creating products. So I always try to think about that person on the other end of the supply chain. And it's very easy to forget that there are people there because, again, we in the U.S. and uh, we just became disconnected to the supply chains and uh, we became used to getting this amazingly low prices in expense for extremely low and almost slave uh, wages that people in developing countries, the producers, are getting. So that makes me wonder whether we can, as consumers, be certain that a fair trade labeled item is giving our extra couple of bucks here, couple of bucks there actually to the workers. Like, how can we be sure that that's happening? Yeah, so uh, we... Uh, um at fair in fair trade industry, we definitely get a lot of these questions, and um, ultimately, um, by by if a company is fair trade, uh, and again, we, at the at the least, at the very least, we are paying more uh, for the to the maker, uh, more in terms of wages, or if we're buying directly and paying for one basket we purchase, or we're paying for a, a dress, a fair trade dress, we pay them more than a non fair trade brand or buyer would have paid them. Uh, of course, it doesn't mean that 100% of this extra price goes uh, 
the retail price that you're paying goes to the artisan because it's it's very important to understand that fair trade businesses they're businesses they're not charities so yes uh, you're paying extra to make sure that these businesses are paying extra to the artisans to the makers to the farmers at the same time these businesses are also putting money back into their businesses to be able to um, run their businesses sustainably uh, and it is very challenging uh, but at the same time uh, yeah, I think I think it's very important for us to realize that um, as we are we are voting without dollars, we also want to. We are not only supporting the artisan and the maker on the ground. We are also voting for these companies who decided thoughtfully decided to do things differently to make it almost uh, make it harder for themselves, more difficult for themselves to run a business by paying the artisans the making. Um, higher prices than uh, non-fair trade businesses. Another important thing I like to note is one of the main fair trade principles is about paying deposits for the products. Uh, and I don't know if many people know, like traditional retail uh, companies, like, I don't know, for example, if TJ Maxx or Target is buying, you know, we see artisan goods all over the place these days, but this uh, these huge corporations, they might not be paying the artisan group or whoever they're sourcing from for six months after the products were delivered to them. So, and these giant corporations, they, play, uh, they place giant orders, let's say, for 100,000 units or even 10,000 um, units order. It's huge for these groups on the ground in developing countries. And uh, giant corporations, uh, traditional retail, that don't pay deposits. So artisans don't have money, ultimately, to buy raw materials to fulfill this order um, and if in some horrible case um, the corporation somehow decides not to pay um, for the products that the artisans delivered artisans are in a huge huge financial risk and uh, this is why it's also a very very important principle of fair trade for me personally hmm. yeah thank you for that you've offered a lot of additional information that the average <laughs> american consumer really never even probably thinks about. I would love to shift gears and talk about fair trade and sustainability efforts, environmental concerns. I know you mentioned that the fair trade label does touch on environmental issues, but how? Yeah, so an easy example would be, for example, if you are using some coloring materials, like, um, again, uh, with Globin, we work with artisans in Oaxaca, Mexico, um, which made beautiful palm leaf baskets. And um, um, the coloring materials is not necessarily environmentally friendly. So uh, it's a long process. It's not an easy one. But one way of a fair trade company going above and beyond to make sure we are respecting the environment, we are looking for other ways in coloring materials. So maybe even using natural dyes instead of the chemical ones uh, to use in the supply chain of this basket. So this is just one example. Uh, but yeah, in, in general, you know, when you're building the factory, uh, you, you want to make sure that you know you're not dumping uh, some trash into the ground or polluting water, right? As you know, with fashion pieces specifically. Or, for example, if we're talking about harvesting wood in India, I mentioned rosewood, it's always sustainably sourced. Sometimes uh, these specific organizations on the ground, they're actually... Uh, you know, rep uh, replanting trees. Um, another example would be, for example, bone, right? Uh, bone and animal products. It's always sustainably harvested, especially in India cu culturally, you know, 
Uh, cows are very uh, respected so we know for sure it's a very very regulated field there actually so we know that uh, that's environmentally um, responsibly uh, harvested so there are a lot of certifications out there right there's obviously like the usda organic there's you know made safe there's the global organic textile standard in this consumer culture where labels are just being <laughs> splattered on product after product after product, which ones should we be looking for? Before I even started like officially work in the fair trade industry, I myself, as a student, I wrote an article basically criticizing all the fair trade different certifications because I realized how confusing it to the consumer. And me, now I have this marketing head on marketing background. I understand that if you want to create real change, in the industry, in the you know the buying habits of the consumer, you have to simplify things, and the uh, the, the sheer number of certifications does not simplify things. Actually, in, um, in my again in my previous years working in fair trade, a lot of consumers uh, of our brand, my uh, our own customers, they they would be uh, buying our artisan fair trade goods for many years, and they would still not understand the difference between free trade and fair trade. Which which is completely opposite terms. And I'm not even talking about, you know, being confused between um, multiple fair trade certifications and then USDA organic and um, made safe and uh, there's got, I believe, and all of that stuff, uh, Rainforest Alliance. There's so many to just, uh, just even remember. Um, but I think I think ultimately what they are trying to do with the, each one of the certification is to focus on one specific um, spe specific aspect. So one, um, you know, Rainforest Alliance is uh, focused on preserving rainforest, straight, pretty straightforward, hopefully. Uh, organic is about how... Um, you know, how we are growing our food, how we are using or not using pesticides in this process, or what kind of uh, products and in what kind of conditions animals are grown, um, you know, poultry and beef and things like that. Um, and then fair trade for me, it has always been, it is all about people, it is all about labor and about paying uh, fair wages. Um, so this is how I see the kind of, how I explain to myself the need for all of the certification. It's so easy to be overwhelmed, and I still think we need to simplify things as an industry for sure. Um, but I would recommend to for each one of us, for a person, to start with what is important for you. Like for me, and probably because I've been in fair trade industry for so long, for me, um, you know, people uh, are so important. And you know, I've I've mentioned that to you just now that I've traveled around the world. I've met artisans on the ground. I visited their homes. I visited where they're working with. So for me, this is the main point that I care about. So fair trade, anything has to do with labor, fair labor practices, equal pay would always be the most important thing. For other consumers, organic, eating organic, eating healthy, animal rights uh, would be more important. Uh, so I think you just have to, in order to not get that overwhelmed, uh, choose what's important to you. And that will be your starting, uh, starting point for your journey towards sustainability and more ethical living. Lisa, this was a super informative interview. Thank you so much. I personally learned a lot and on the interviews that I learn a lot, those happen to be my favorite. So thank you so much. Um, where can my listeners find 
Brightly and find Good Together podcast. Of course. So Good Together, we're available anywhere where you are listening to your podcast, a favorite podcast. Just type in Good Together, um, Apple, Stitcher, you will find us there. You also can go to brightly.eco slash podcast uh, and you will uh, get direct links to all these platforms. So um, yeah, brightly.eco, we are on um, Facebook, um, we are on Instagram. So looking forward to having more conversations about sustainability with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Lisa. Thank you, Stephanie. Bye. I so hope you enjoyed that interview with Lisa over at the Good Together podcast. This week's show notes, everything we talked about today, and oh my goodness, we talked about a lot. You can find the show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 121. That's mamaminimalist.com forward slash one, two, one. This week, we have an eco tip from Mallory, and it is to put aside those Amazon boxes or any other boxes you may have accumulated from online shopping, especially during quarantine, and lay them down in your garden in place of that landscape fabric. And then after that, put down your soil and your compost. The box will break down throughout the season and will greatly reduce the amount of weeds your garden gets. Now, a side note here is that I have also heard that newspaper works well for this purpose. So if you don't have any boxes, but you don't want weeds and you have a garden, go on and do this exact same thing with your newspaper. Just put down the box or the newspaper, then your soil and your compost. On next week's episode, we are discussing something that has been on my mind for the last five weeks, and maybe it has been on yours as well. Next week's episode is all about practical ways to contain the clutter now that everybody's home. (laughs) I will see you then. Have an amazing week. Stay home, stay healthy, and take care. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.